0: Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Seth Kaplan is sponsored in part by Boyd Group International's 25th Annual International Aviation Forecast Summit this August in Cincinnati. The only aviation forecast event. Register to attend at a reduced rate with a special promo code available only at airlinesconfidential.com. Sponsorship info for the Airlines Confidential podcast is also available at airlinesconfidential.com. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.
1: I can't prove he's the reason why Spirit always seems to be the airline supplying the passengers behaving badly stories, but he can't prove he's not. He's Ben Baldanza, the former CEO of Spirit Airlines, who now teaches about how airlines work.
2: Well, when he had just started at NPR, he was chatting with some of his colleagues before a staff meeting. One of them asked if he liked Sylvia Paglioli, and he replied, actually, I prefer cheese ravioli. <laughs> it's Seth Kaplan, NPR's here, now transportation analyst.
1: <laughs> well, pushing back from the gate, this is Airlines Confidential, the show where we share the secrets of the airline industry and debate all the crazy things that happen in the airline world each week. Uh, today we're going to talk about the biggest airline bankruptcy yet Uh, i'm not sure anything can shock us anymore but this one wow
2: and we'll take a question from a listener about the greatest airline executives of all time who don't co-host this
1: podcast (laughs) but
2: first let's prepare for takeoff with
1: this week's news ben actually let's start this way if at the start of this year I named the following four airlines and asked you to tell me which of the four would not file for bankruptcy in 2020. Which of the four would you guess? So here are the four airlines. Air India, Alitalia, Aerolíneas Argentinas, or Aerolíneas' neighbor on both sides, actually, Chile and Brazil, LATAM. LATAM, of course, formed a few years ago by the merger of LAN, based in Chile and uh, with units around Latin America and Brazil's TOM. So again, the four, Air India, Alitalia, Aerolíneas Argentinas, and LATAM. Ben, what what would your guess have been? uh, Which of those four would not file for bankruptcy this year?
2: My guess would have been Air India. And I only (laughs) say that because I know that India doesn't really have – the equivalent of Chapter 11. Okay. Bankruptcy is pure liquidation, and I
1: figured the government so would let the state th- owned oh, carrier go back. You're such a stickler. You're too smart. <laughs> let, let's do it this way. Let's not say file for bankruptcy. Let's say which of the four would be insolvent? Which of the four would run out of money and need some help? Which of the four would not run out of money and need some help? In that case, I would say Aerolíneas
2: Argentinas. <laughs>
1: Ben You're ruining the joke (laughs) The answer As all of the rest of us know Would have been (laughs) Latam
2: Yes I knew that was the case But you asked me which I would have said At the beginning of 2020 (laughs) (laughs)
1: You know, I think this is just the best evidence yet of what I've been telling people for three months now when they ask me – reporters will call me from, from different places around the world. They ask which airline will be the next to file for bankruptcy, and my answer is that it's now a political question, not an economic or a financial one. Almost no airline in the world was prepared for what we're going through. And in some cases, really, this is a great equalizer for airlines like Alitalia, which in any economically rational environment would have ceased to exist decades ago. But Alitalia is protected. Other airlines around the world to varying degrees, including most definitely in the U.S., got various handouts. I realize that's not how the U.S. airlines would characterize what they got. But anyway, their government helped them. And Latam, like other airlines in Latin America, got relatively little, partly because Those governments just weren't in the same kind of shape to help their airlines. And so here it is filing in the U.S., by the way, LATAM for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. So that doesn't include all of its units. It has units in various places. But anyway, Chapter 11 in the U.S. for uh, the main company. Ben, LATAM, Chapter 11 bankruptcy. This is big news.
2: Well, it's obviously big news and uh, not the only time we've talked about LATAM in this uh, podcast since we talked about the great steal of Delta by getting LATAM away from America. And now Delta is probably thinking, well, what did we really invest in? Right. Yeah. <laughs> as the as any airline that invested in other airlines or any investors of airlines are thinking. But, you know, after Avianca. And after you see what's going on in Latin America and the government's there not really prepared to support industry the way U.S. airlines have been supported by the U.S. government and some in Europe have and others, it's not completely a surprise. And the Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in the U.S., I think, Seth is particularly noteworthy because I'm guessing that a lot of their planes are registered in the U.S. And when you think about an airline going into bankruptcy, a Chapter 11 bankruptcy, that means reorganization. It doesn't mean liquidation. And what are the things you want to fix while you're in bankruptcy? Well, it tends to be things like long-term labor deals or fleet deals or things like that. Not sort of, you know, the the local wheelchair vendor in Santiago, right? That's a, yeah. right the, those aren't the those aren't the focus of a Chapter Eleven bankruptcy. So we're talking, even though they may be affected by that, right? Right. So we're talking so,
1: potentially about leases that it already has, or also aircraft orders. It has that's exactly both, right. From both Airbus and Boeing on the books.
2: That's right. So it could be returning uh, airplanes to lessors without penalty, or without as much economic penalty than if they just said, "Please take it back." or canceling orders or things like that. So I'm guessing as all airlines are looking at their fleets and figuring out what do we think we're gonna need now given our view of what the world's gonna be for the next number of years, some planes look better than others, some orders look riskier than others, and every airline's rethinking through its fleet plan. And my guess is that this is one tool, if you want to think of chapter 11 bankruptcy protection that way, that LATAM can deal with that a little bit more efficiently. I'm not saying they chose that for that reason. They obviously are seeing the same huge demand drops the whole industry is. They're facing enormous liquidity challenges. So to protect cash and to protect their enterprise, I'm sure that they did this. But while there, they now need to use this restructuring to truly restructure some of their infrastructure costs
1: two questions. First of all, you know, somebody, somebody smart, an observer said to me, you know, this makes other bankruptcies in Latin America more likely because, you know, now Latam gets to do this with its cost structure. So what if you are other airlines, even those that have said they're in an OK cash position, you know, in Mexico, for example, would they, this person said, you know, wouldn't they want to be able to just reject aircraft leases and, and, and that sort of thing? And I, I, my thought as to why that might not be the well, I have two. I have two thoughts, but I want to ask you what's going to carry the day. What's the more important force? Because it's true now, Latam a whole different situation, and everybody else is somewhat less cost competitive. But on one hand, uh, well, it's what I said. Some of those other airlines have just just seem to be in 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 okay shape from a balance sheet standpoint. And you know, I think you kind of. I, I'm not a lawyer, but I know companies file for bankruptcy when they're in what's called a zone of insolvency. Right. In other That's words, right. you, you get yeah. you you get you get to a point where it's just you just do the where it's just math, right? And your job as a chief executive and as the board overseeing a chief executive is to do what's in the air interest of your current shareholders. So even though it might seem like, well, why not just reset the clock if you have the tool? Why not just reject all the leases? I mean, your job is to preserve. The value of the shares that everybody owns in your company. So, so, what are you getting away with if you sure get to reset the clock, but then you'll wipe out your shareholders if you don't absolutely have to do that? Uh, so, which of the, but on the other hand, true, no question, true. Everybody else now has to compete against a restructured or soon to be restructured Latam. So what do you think uh, this does for other airlines in, in the at least the southern half of the Americas?
2: Well, you know, the biggest ones are now in bankruptcy. And if you remember- Avianca being the Avi- other. Yeah. Avianca being the other, that's right. And if you, uh, if you remember after 9-11 and after 9-11 and after the financial crisis in the late 2000s, almost all the US airlines were in bankruptcy at one point. Southwest was not, right? But- You know, U.S. Airways, Northwest, Delta, American, America West, right? They all filed for bankruptcy at one point. And so Latin America is starting to look like that, right, where where most of the capacity is there. And if you look at the U.S. as the model, then those airlines all kept flying while they were restructuring. They continued to fly. They got themselves more efficient. And when they all emerged, they emerged leaner, little lower costs. Little better overall fleet positioning, fewer employees generally, and shareholders did sort of take a bath, as did a lot of creditors. And any company, not just airlines, but the reason any company has to think long and hard before Chapter 11 is because what it does to shareholders. On the other hand, companies that do this, and I'm assuming Latam is in this case. You know they they face the position of if not this then we could be facing a liquidation which not only wipes out our shareholders but wipes out all of our employees and all of our customers and the whole enterprise and so it becomes sort of the lesser of evils if if you will i think that latin america is going to go latin american airlines are going to go through this restructuring Uh, I expect other businesses in Latin America will file for Chapter 11, especially travel related, just like in the U.S. We saw Hertz file this week, for example. Remember, Um, that's clearly travel related. (laughs) So, again, I don't think it's going to I don't think it means the end of airlines in Latin America. It doesn't mean the end of LATAM. doesn't mean the end of Avianca, but it means changes are happening and changes are happening for the whole industry. And they now are working through this tool that has risks to it. Um, And if they make the right decisions, they'll emerge actually a little bit stronger.
1: Yeah, Hertz, another great example there of a piece of news that you would think would be one of the bigger travel stories of the year. And instead, we get a few of these every week, right? Hertz, the rental car giant. Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection and talk in their case of maybe liquidation, that maybe the fleet of cars is worth more than the business. We'll have to see. This is airlines confidential, not rental cars confidential. (laughs) Leave that to to others. But uh, but just fascinating developments that, Ben, you mentioned Delta, which, of course, invested nearly two billion dollars in Latam, a strategic investment to get Latam to join to form a joint venture with Delta to get Latam out of one world. Delta's strategy now of these equity investments, and again, that's two billion dollars. That's all. That's that's real money. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, look, the three hundred million that Delta put into Virgin sounds like real money to me. But you know, Delta stole half of Virgin Atlantic. I'm talking about when it would have paid three hundred million dollars for for half of that. That was just kind of a no brainer from the standpoint of a giant global airline. But. Two billion dollars—a lot of money, even to people who have a lot of money—and <laughs> uh, and, uh, so this is interesting because you know, in some ways, uh, of the big three global U.S. airlines, so Delta, American, and United. In some ways, American is is the worst off. I mean, in terms of its balance sheet, no question, it is. It, it just had these giant aircraft orders, uh, more debt, all, all the rest of it. Delta with a much more conservative balance sheet in most regards, and United kind of somewhere between. But Delta's strategy now of all of these equity investments – and yeah, they're strategic investments. I mean Delta was clear about that. It wasn't investing in any of these airlines because it concluded that these were the very best investments from a financial standpoint if it was just going out and buying stocks. It was doing this to bring these airlines into its fold uh, to make these stickier relationships than the ones that American has, for example – where we see what happens when, when you when you don't have that kind of a relationship if you lose Latam. Latam wasn't yet in a joint venture, but American wanted a joint venture with Latam. On the other hand, now we had Delta sort of, well, doubling down is not the word, but again, willing to risk far larger sums of, of money in these investments recently than it was at the beginning when it was just sort of more of a, a, of a token thing. Most recently, $2 billion, a very ill-timed investment. Uh, so imagine where Delta would be In terms of its balance sheet, competitive advantage relative to to the rest of the industry had it not spent that $2 billion and had it not spent some of the other money that it spent around the world. Because remember also that these joint ventures are simply worth less right now because there's almost no global travel. Now, maybe that will change, right? And maybe it will be happy again and it probably will be happy again someday to have the joint venture with Latam and with Korean Air and and, uh, Virgin Atlantic and Air France and all the rest of it. But – not right now. So on balance, how does Delta's strategy look right now?
2: Well, that's a great question. If you think the long game, which Delta has clearly been thinking in terms of its investments in other airlines around the world, you know what it does is it gives them sort of a seat at the table figuratively, maybe literally
1: in some cases. Yeah, literally. Latam had two, I think, two board members at Latam. Yeah.
2: That's right. And – you know, and to sort of be able to participate in, in travel and airline economies around the world. You know, U.S. airlines can't fly within Latin America or within Europe or within Air Asia, just like British Airways can't fly from New York to L.A., right? And so without these investments, you can have partnerships and connect their passengers to your passengers, but you don't really participate in those revenue streams. So Delta found a way to do that while also sort of, you know, maybe having an edge on their competitors in terms of understanding how the world economies for airlines are changing and where opportunities may be and things like that. So it was a very long term play by Delta and a very smart play uh, that I think many people would judge it that way because it sort of gives them that that sort of competitive position of sort of understanding the world airlines and being part of the world airlines, not just the the U.S. Now, I don't think any of that changes if you believe that at some point airline travel is going to be back in some way, maybe looking a little different. Um, The question is you can always, with perfect hindsight, look back on investment and say I paid too much or I paid too little. Or I shouldn't have bought that, or I should have bought this, right? And, um, and so, so that it, that's not helpful to do that. So now you think about where Delta has their positions, and is it is Latin America still important for the long term of of Delta? Absolutely. Yeah. Is Europe still important? Absolutely. And is Asia still important? Absolutely. So I think their strategy is still sound even though undoubtedly this changes the economics, changes the return potential. But in the scope of Delta's overall financial picture, what they've invested into these airlines is proportionate. It's not it's not um, uh, it doesn't overexceed their financial capability. So I think for all the reasons they did it in the first place still makes sense in a post-COVID world, although certainly the spreadsheets are going to look a little different.
1: Well, now at Cruise Altitude here on Airlines Confidential, it's time for passengers behaving badly. Today, we're going to play a little game. I'm going to tell you a story, but not tell you the airline and let you try to guess the airline. It could be you, Ben, or you, our friends out there. Here's the story. A man boarded a flight with a face mask. That's not bad, right? It's good. Trouble is, the face mask was actually women's underwear. Not everyone on board was amused. I'm actually not clear from the otherwise excellent story by WPXI in Pittsburgh, whether the man ever took off the underwear, but I'll read you a statement from the airline. The spokesman told WPXI, quote, we are aware of that inappropriate face covering. And as a result, we have taken action internally on this isolated event to ensure compliance with CDC guidance on face coverings. Agents screen guests during the boarding process to ensure they have an appropriate mask or face covering consistent with CDC guidelines. Our flight attendants also respectfully inform guests of the policy in line with existing guidelines for managing guest conduct. Now, Ben, I think that's already more than enough information for anybody to guess the airline, but I'll provide one more hint, which should give it away for any astute listener, <laughs> certainly one in our part of the world. I mentioned WPXI in Pittsburgh, but this flight was actually going from Latrobe, Pennsylvania, an alternative airport not far from Pittsburgh. Going from Latrobe to Orlando. Ben, any guesses?
2: Well, it has to be none other than Spirit Airlines. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the only all the airlines serving Latrobe. That's right. And
2: it's someone in Spirit used to say the Latrobe Airport and Denunzio's Steakhouse and Convention Center. <laughs> <laughs> it's right in the airport.
1: <laughs> now now one co- like somewhat serious then at the same time funny thing about this was that the inbound flight to Latrobe, do you want to guess where it came from? Uh, Boston,
2: maybe Pittsburgh.
1: Oh, Pittsburgh! Spirit is running tag flights. So, so, what they're doing, they're flying, and this is one of those weird things about the CARES Act. So, that's the, the the bigger you know stimulus package. Um, but you know, airlines got their money, and they had to keep serving all of the airports that they were previously serving. And in some cases, they've had to get creative. And Spirit, unrelated to you know which airport is more likely to have people wearing women's underwear and face coverings <laughs> and all the rest of it, had decided that the most, well, I guess the least bad way of continuing to serve Latrobe, where apparently there wasn't a ton of demand right now, was to run a flight from Pittsburgh to Latrobe, stopping in Latrobe on its way to Orlando, and then that counts as still serving Latrobe. So people can come to their own conclusions about all kinds of things when it comes to this story, which is, first of all, the unintended Consequences of the CARES Act when you have an airline flying from Pittsburgh to Latrobe. I'm going to go on the Great Circle ma- Mapper here and try to find out.
2: Well, Latrobe uh, is kind of on the way to Orlando from Pittsburgh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> is it in that direction? I will confess, Ben, that I don't know enough about the uh, the geography of Latrobe to know in which in which direction it is.
2: You know, Seth, this story uh, made me think of a couple of weeks ago. I saw David Nealman on TV. David Nealman, as our listeners know, the founder of five airlines, including JetBlue, and maybe soon. Breeze is what it's going
1: to end up being called, right?
2: (laughs) But he was talking about sort of the airline reality right now. And he said, you know, people just are going to be okay with putting facial coverings on to protect themselves. And you don't need a medical N95 mask. Just anything that covers your nose and mouth is going to be good enough. And there's no way that David thought this guy existed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Because it> absolutely-
1: <laughs> he took that advice to he heart but he absolutely anything <laughs> over his mouth by the way i just found it pittsburgh to latrobe is is 46 miles as the crow flies well heavy mailbag this week let's take our first question tom in bloomington indiana writes, hey guys I had a question about bundling airfare with free check bags and no change fees specifically about the product southwest offers dot 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 okay now that Ben is not listening anymore, Seth, in your unbiased opinion, since you host with an airline exec and as an aviation analyst and author, who are some of your most admired airline executives in the history of aviation? I guess Ben can answer the question, too, uh, is, is what our friend Tom says. Uh, hey, thanks for asking answering my question about airline feet, fleet strategies a few months ago. Figured I'd ask a fun question unrelated to COVID-19 to shake things up. Up. And he spelt COVID with the little like asterisks and and said, like like when you're writing a dirty word. <laughs> you, <know. laughs> <I know. laughs> so you don't want to fully write Well, first of all, what what great intelligence out of Bloomington, Indiana. I know we have another listener there who asked one or two questions. Bloomington, Indiana, of course, the home of of Indiana University, where I, by the way, spent a summer back in high school at the... At the excellent High School Journalism Institute nice. of, of Indiana University, love Bloomington. So, okay, Tom. Okay, Ben, close your ears, or well, let's just say the 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 best aviation execs of all time, like you said in the in the intro, who don't co-host this podcast, okay? Because <laughs> the, the, that way, right? No hard feelings. The, these airline execs, they can they can be sensitive, right. you know. Uh, so, so I, you know, I'll, I'll give you Tom the answer that I've always given in my life, and I don't know whether I. Whether at this point we have to update this, but kind of in the in the post deregulation world, let's say that right because I wasn't there for one trip. It's with just people going way back at the beginning of uh, of of the of the industry, and I think it's harder, kind of like doing you know baseball, compare Babe Ruth to Ken Griffey, and you know, they never played each other. So let, let's let's t- take kind of post 1978 history. The troika that I have always said for different reasons and, and reasonable people might disagree with this, but I have always said Bob Crandall of American Airlines, Herb Kelleher of Southwest, who who, who died not too long ago, uh, and Gordon Bethune of Continental. Very different people. Uh, look, there are... Uh, Longtime employees of American Airlines and ex-employees who are going to say Crandall and you know, it's like a bad word to them because of some of the, uh, the 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 labor relations issues that existed there and and no question he was you know was the, the only controversial thing that happened in American under Bob Crandall but you know how can you not name somebody who when you think about so much of how the industry looks today frequent flyer programs were invented in American Airlines when Bob Crandall was there revenue management I mean just the whole way the whole Practice of how to how to, how much to charge for airline tickets invented there. I mean, c- computerized reservation system, right? Saber started at American Airlines. And so so, you know, I, I think you have to put Bob Crandall there, even if some of his views back then were controversial. And some of his more recent views about re-regulating the airline industry as as one of the people who who most successfully navigated the deregulation. Uh, some of those views are are outside the mainstream, but but no question for his time in in the industry in terms of those innovations, you have to name him Herb Kelleher. You know Southwest, uh, what over a half century now. What would the world look like the airline world if if, if not for Southwest? And I think even some of the most bombastic. Uh, uh, Self-important CEOs in the world, like a uh, Michael O'Leary uh, of, of of Ryanair, and, and those you know, I mean, look—they all—they all recognize that it started at Southwest. Some of them have carried the model further, in some ways, than Southwest ever did. But low-cost airline travel started there. And Gordon Bethune, you know, he he took a a, a, a sick airline, and Ben, you were there for for that transformation, uh, and really kind of redefined how to run an airline in a way where you could have happy uh customers and employees and and uh and shareholders and uh Continental kind of became the little little airline that could again Bethune not somebody who's not shy about uh tooting his own horn uh wrote that book about the uh about the turnaround but um but somebody who yeah, from uh, worst who to first to, it was called. Yep, it, exactly. Uh, so, so, so those would be my three. Now, now, as we move along here, and as there's enough history look back, you know, should Richard Anderson uh, be included with what Delta accomplished? And it wasn't all, you know, it started under Grinstein before him, and and uh, and, and and continued well until recently, anyway. When when the world fell apart. Um, uh, Andrew Bastion who was there with him, and 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 there are other people who you could name who have done extraordinary, including sort of less household names, uh, who, who have done extraordinary jobs at airlines. But that's that that's always kind of been my troika. Uh, ben, Tom said you're allowed to answer too. What what's uh, any any further? Seth, thoughts?
2: I agree with your troika. Actually, you know, I, I worked for two of those guys. I worked for Bob Crandall and for Gordon Bethune, and learned a ton from both of them. And when I think of other, you know, really competent executives and colorful personalities in this industry, clearly there's guys like Michael O'Leary and Willie Walsh in Europe, right? And there's other, there's Richard Anderson and others. But those three, I think, really do embody excellence in airline management over the time periods in which they operated and really defined the way the U.S. airlines look today in many, many ways. I think that's a perfect troika. I couldn't disagree with any one of them
1: and i know that for me as somebody who didn't know any of them nearly as well as 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 you did just speaking with them there's a certain you know as a journalist you just kind of get used to talking to accomplished people and most of them you just see them as yeah, they're just people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like 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 anybody else. I would say that those three, like the, the the short conversations that I've had uh, uh, over the years with them, uh, there there was a certain I, I was kind of starstruck in a way that I that I that I'm generally not, you know, as somebody who's who's. Met presidents, <laughs> right? <laughs> I could like, like, I could. I just, there's just something about about those three, uh, where I was like, yeah, this is this is somebody who uh, who changed the airline world in an important way. Well, we're gonna go back to the mailbag when we come back, try to get through some of these excellent questions and comments. Uh, plus, fine or wine? Yeah, one of those. When Airlines Confidential
0: returns. <laughs> Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Seth Kaplan is sponsored in part by Boyd Group International's 25th Annual International Aviation Forecast Summit this August in Cincinnati. The only aviation forecast event. Register to attend at a reduced rate with a special promo code available only at airlinesconfidential.com.
1: With Ben Baldanza, I'm Seth Kaplan. This is Airlines Confidential. Fine or Wine is next. But first, let's go back to the mailbag. Uh, this first one, actually both of these, really more of a comment than a question. Uh, this one is from Orlando, not from the city Orlando. The person's name is Orlando. He doesn't say where he, he lives. So more likely Orlando, uh, based on what he's going to say here. Hello, everyone. In this message, I'm going to make the dream of Seth come true. I really hate your show. LOL, he writes. I think I had asked for, uh, you know, hey, we'd love love to hear the nice uh, comments, but take the other ones, too. He writes, LOL, it's not true. I listen to the program every time I can. Uh, Once I was walking to relieve the stress of COVID in Florida. Okay, so I guess suppose you could live in Orlando. Uh, At one time, a, a snake came out of the grass, and I almost stepped on the snake because I was laughing from one of Ben's funny comments. Uh, Your show is part of my training to increase my English skills. It's very good. Although I have to say, Seth, sometimes you speak too fast. Ben, I, I'm getting worried. This guy's listening to us to learn proper English. Uh, oh no! <laughs> uh, so he says. Uh, so, so he says. I, I want you guys to make a few comments regarding the airlines who are on those, uh, who are from those really hardworking countries. He says, like Venezuela, Cuba, Haiti, airlines in Africa. What's your special advice as an expert for those airlines struggling to pay their employees, where sometimes the government is not helping? Do they have to close? do they have to keep struggling ben we we started this podcast with news of a giant airline not not typically the little airline from haiti that you think of as as struggling but yeah what do you do if you're one of the people running one of these airlines uh, I, I mean of course government relations is probably one of your most important jobs right now uh, got to feel for those people, anything else they can be doing in a situation where everything else happening in the world outside their control has so much more impact than whatever they can do.
2: Well, it is a great question. And The places he mentions in particular, but also the kinds of places that he mentioned, air travel is so critically important because not only does it drive a lot of the economy, but it connects these places to the world and places that could otherwise be isolated and be much more difficult for the populations there to be connected to the rest of the world, with air travel to other places is really, really important for places like Venezuela, Cuba, Haiti, the whole continent of Africa and such, right? And so many governments though, just don't have the ability to sort of prop up private industry or even in the case where they may be subsidized um, state run airlines, the ability to sort of put a lot of money there. That said, uh, I think that the likelihood that whole countries or certainly all continent in the case of Africa are going to lose their airlines completely is not really right. They will push through this. They will have hard times. Some people will be out of a job for a while. Right now in India, every airline is shut down and many airline employees in India are, are temporarily out of work without pay. And they're still employed by the company, but they're not being paid anything. And they're just hoping the airline starts flying again for them to come back. And I think they will come back, those employees. And I think air travel will come back. But I think that would be sort of the worst case for, for places like this, that the airlines would shut for a little while. People would be out of a job, which is just a terrible thing. But then eventually... They're going to need to travel again, and Venezuela needs to be connected to the world. So does Haiti. So does Africa. So does every country and continent that looks like that because air travel is an important piece of the fundamental of economics everywhere in the world, and it's especially important in places whose economies are otherwise more fragile.
1: I'll tell you, Ben. In terms of the question of state support for airlines in normal times, not not what we're going through right now, to me, some of the toughest questions are not places like Italy, where uh, you know if they stopped supporting Alitalia, Italy would have plenty of air service. It would just be provided by other airlines. They may or may not be based in Italy, but you know there's all kinds of travel demand to go specifically to Italy, and Somebody would would provide most of that service, and 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 the government wouldn't have to spend billions of dollars uh, supporting it, and, and and sort of discouraging basically other uh, free market players from from providing their own service. The toughest ones, and there are other examples like that around the world. The toughest ones to me are like those, you know, Jamaica places like that. Over to you, right, like islands, destinations that are, and I, I mean this as no disrespect. This is just a, this is just a a, a a travel term, substitutable, right? Places where if travelers can't get to one place in their minds, again, these are special places to the people who are there, but in their minds, if I can't go to this sunny island with a beach, I'll go to another sunny island with a beach, and where. The entire economy in some cases, or nearly the entire economy in some cases, depends on tourism. And if you don't have your own local airline kind of subsidizing the influx of tourism, you can't necessarily count on another airline to provide it. I mean, they might, but that local airline is just such a tool of ensuring an influx of people into the country that even if you lose money perpetually on it arguably you can understand why those places support their airlines more than almost any other place around the world
2: I think that's exactly right Seth you know when there was big hurricane activity that effectively shut down Cancun for a little while with a lot of yeah. the hotels and closed and such airlines saw a you know all that traffic moved to places like Punta Cana right to exactly your exactly your case is substitutable that didn't help the people in cancun and the workers in cancun right and now there's plenty of people cancun's back obviously and you know but for covid there would be a lot of people going to cancun sure. too right but the, you're right it's the local governments have to take ownership and control because you're right other people won't because there are substitutes if i can't go here i'll go there unless you have a direct family affiliation or maybe a direct business affiliation. People who travel for leisure go to lots of places, and maybe if if, if it's difficult to get to some place for one year, they'll go to a different place, and that is a reality of travel. But it affects all every country. Um, I met, can you imagine all the people not going to New York right now, and what that's doing in New York? Yeah. too? and I'm not putting New York in the same category as some of these other places in terms of their ability to withstand this sort of thing, but. We do need airlines. It, it, the general point here is airlines are really important to the world economy. IATA has has estimated that airlines represent 8% of global domestic product. That's just huge and employs lots and lots of people. And there's not going to be a world economic recovery without airlines. It's just not going to happen.
1: Well, do you have a question for us? You can call us at 305 305- Three seven nine seven four two nine, 379 7429 and record a question for us anytime during the week. Again, 305-379-7429. You can email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com or you can jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website. You'll see a form on there to submit your question. Well, beginning our initial descent on today's show, it's time for fine or whine. We listen to an actual customer complaint and then we talk about whether a complaint is fine or if they're just whining. Ben, you have a complaint.
2: Yes, I do, Seth. This one is from Maria complaining about Tiger Air. Mm. (laughs) Maria writes, my son went from Brisbane to Melbourne, stayed the weekend and then booked his flight to come back to Brisbane, got his ticket with the times on it. He got to the airport early enough and was looking on the board for his flight. This is where we had a problem. Daylight savings. His flight had left one hour before the time on his ticket. He had no extra money on him to pay an extra $85 to rebook a later flight. This is just wrong. Airlines should put on the tickets. Daylight savings time. He is now stranded at the airport. No money and no way home. Shame on you, airline, for leaving this out on your tickets to let people know about daylight savings time. We'll never travel with you again.
1: So this is a pre-COVID uh, complaint. Tiger, uh, the, the ultra low-cost carrier, the you know, well, actually, kind of a kind of a various times a group of of, of carriers uh, started in Singapore uh, and affiliated carriers, domestic one in Australia that ended up as part of uh, Virgin Australia. Anyway, uh, but. This could have been any airline, really. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen daylight savings time or standard time or anything (laughs) noted on a ticket. Uh, Fine or wine, Ben?
2: Well, I have to call this one probably one of the bigger whines I've heard.
1: <laughs> I mean,
2: first of all, airlines don't create daylight savings time, right? It's not it's not an airline idea. In fact it messes up airlines because think about what it does for their schedule and oh, how they yeah. have to change things and and they pull their hair out having to deal with it. But to say that it's the airline's fault that you didn't know what time it was, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's just absolutely crazy. You know, I have this little app on my phone. I mean, since before COVID, I used to travel quite a bit, not traveling so much right now. I have this little app that's just called Time Buddy. And with yeah. Time Buddy, you can put in your location or any cities you want in any other cities, and it tells you what time it is. There now, and it tells you what time it is relative to your local time and all kinds of things.
1: For me, I just Google. I, I just Google it. I I type what time is it in, you know, Boise, Idaho. That's right, and and, and it and it kind of comes up, you know, and it's always right.
2: I know that though, no, that's exactly right. It's just to blame this on the airline is just absolutely insane. This person is just a whiner. Buy a watch, or better yet on your phone, set the setting that says automatically change for daylight savings time and just look at your phone
1: and you'll know what time it is. It's funny, you know, now it's harder to make this mistake, but the couple times in my life where I just somehow missed, you know, it's just somehow didn't get the memo about daylight savings time. Luckily, it was always in the direction where I was early, not late. And and (laughs) that's no credit to me. I remember one time, you know, growing up, I was I was 14 or 15 years old and i i bagged groceries at publix the famous grocery store chain supermarket in, in in florida and i remember getting to work at what i thought was seven in the morning which is when publix opened and it just everything seemed a little strange right and there were no co-workers and there were no <laughs> customers and and it was and it was Six o'clock in the morning. I just said, you know, and and uh, and so so yeah. I just I just waited. uh And so what would that would that be in the fall or to anyway? I'll I'll try to figure it out. But uh, when you would make that mistake, but uh, but like a couple times in my life that happened, and I was just lucky. It was always that I was early. Well, on final approach now. That does it for Airlines Confidential this week. Please fasten your seatbelts and ensure your seatbacks and tray tables are in their upright and locked positions. And remember, we'd love to hear your questions at 305-379-7429. You can email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com or jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website. Well, from the Airlines Confidential Studios, I'm Seth Kaplan. And I'm
2: Ben Baldanto. We'll talk to
1: you soon.
0: This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.